church. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And I just want to, by way of reminder from last week, I want to remind you Lent begins in a week and a half from today. It'll begin on Ash Wednesday. And uh, I spoke to you last week about that and the 40 days. And uh, a couple of things I want to remind you about. One is we're going to begin a series on the Holy Spirit called Pentecost. The Comforter has come. There you have it this week. It's, we're good. We have the graphic there. Um, and so we're going to be going through a six-week study all the way up to Easter starting next week on the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like for us to guide our meditations during that time, even daily, through a daily devotional that you have on your Version app, you'll see uh, it's Life by the Spirit. It's a 40-day devotional. It's uh, something you can do in five minutes. It even gives you a prayer to pray, um, or you can take it for two hours, whatever, um, a day if you wanted to. Um, so it's that kind of flexibility. I encourage you. All of us together is one body of Christ at Bannockburn, focusing daily on the Holy Spirit and what God tells us about himself and the Spirit, I, I would love for us to, to do that together. So you can actually scan the QR code. It'll take you to the version app, or you can just go to version and look it up, and you'll see it on there. But we're going to begin that devotional um, next week. And so we'll start the series next week, and I'll give you instructions on starting right on Ash Wednesday. We'll start that devotional day one, okay? Then um, also, for two years now, we have had zero activity when it comes to international missions. So short-term mission trips of our church going abroad, uh, supporting our partners that are abroad. There are people that have given their lives for sharing the gospel in a culture not their own. We call them missionaries. Um, but we have partners abroad that we've not even seen and have even been there in two years. I don't believe that's healthy. I think a, a healthy gospel church that's thriving in the gospel ministry will have continued pulses of going and encouraging people to go and people sending and praying for us going on the field. And so we have five trips that are coming up this summer. And uh, we have mission lunch, a mission lunch that's coming up very soon on this campus. Um, actually, next Sunday is here for South Austin. And so right after church, there's going to be a lunch on this campus talking about those five trips. Taiwan, Quebec, Dominican Republic, Ethiopia, and I'm leaving one out. Which one? In Lebanon. We have a trip going to Lebanon as well. Five trips planned for this summer. We're encouraging you to consider it. So if you could just come to this lunch, find out more about these trips. We actually have the, the planning of the trips and the details with them. Uh, we want to encourage you to come to that lunch, find out what's happening, and um, pray about whether you should go. But also, many of you, you, you know you can't go, but would you help someone to go? Because many of these trips are costly, and maybe you can give a little contribution to somebody who can go uh, on a trip. And so consider that. Let's all consider that together as a body as we try to re-engage the international mission aspect and ministry of our church. 
it's a healthy aspect. We need to have it. And so uh, thank you for considering coming to that lunch. But also, I don't do this normally. Normally, the starting point lunches are led by our campus pastors and others. Um, I am going to lead a starting point on this campus. I used to do it uh, years ago, but I'm going to lead one. Uh, what this is, is for anybody exploring membership. Maybe you've been attending Bannockburn for a while. Um, and you, you're thinking about membership, what does it take to become a part of the, mem- the, the church? Maybe you're just wanting more information, you're, you moved to the area, you're looking for more information about Bannockburn. Um, but also, uh, Starting Point is a place where you can explore that, but we can also get to know you at the same time. And it's a great for, time for us to do that. So there is a Starting Point lunch. We're going to have it in the foyer. We're going to have it uh, at the end of the service. You'll just stay in this room. I'll start that. And I'm going to lead this Starting Point. If you are interested in coming and being a part of a Starting Point that that I lead, and you can get to know me and my wife as well at the same time, um, I just wanted you to know that's going to be available. The next starting point on this campus we're going to lead. I would love to have you join us. And so if you scan that QR code, you can RSVP. Let us know so we can get the food for that, okay? All right, Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to dive in this morning. And Peter and John are preaching the gospel The kingdom is advancing, the church has been born, supernatural works are happening. Peter and John, in this kind of context, are going up to the temple to pray. And along the way, they see a man begging, and they stop this time. This man had been there for many, many years. Everybody was familiar with him. He he basically is known as the beggar. And he basically, Peter and John looks at him and gets his attention, and Peter heals that man of his disease right that very moment in front of everyone. And the the difference with this particular deal was so many people know this man, and so they know this couldn't have been sort of manufactured, and they know his debilitation and its impossibility of making it right, and they saw it righted right in front of their eyes as a public, kind of like, you know, Damar Hamlin, like he's every... That, that happened right in front of everybody. Now, people are resuscitated every day in our country, <laughs> and lots of them. And yet this one was particularly powerful. Why? Because everybody was watching, and life and death were on the line. And it was just, well, that's the same thing that happened in the temple. Peter heals this guy, and it just happens to be in the, in the eyes of everyone. And they all saw it. And it just had this powerful effect in the temple. And Peter notices that this is taking place, and all the eyes are on them. And you know what he does? He says this is an opportunity for the gospel. He begins to proclaim Jesus to everyone in the temple. And it's a stirring and a supernatural waft of wind is sort of happening in this moment. And everybody's getting those, those senses uh, uh, sizzling in their heart and in their mind. And it's captivating. And in that moment, he's preaching. And the, and the religious leaders find that something is happening that is really taking over the temple. And they arrest Peter and John to try to calm the thing down. They find out Peter and John had been with Jesus, they're disciples of Jesus. And they said, you can no longer preach in this man's name. You're stirring everyone up. And Peter and John respond to them, and you may be familiar with this text. They say, well, we have to obey God rather than men. And so therefore, God's told us to preach. We can't sit there and not preach. And so whatever this means is whatever it means, but we're going to continue to preach. And then they just said back to them, they said, all right, we're just going to warn you, don't preach again in this name. But they couldn't keep them because no one could deny what took place. And no one knew what to do with this miracle that was happening. And so they let them go. And so Peter and John are let go 
from a great threat from the governing authorities over this particular situation. And we pick up in that context in verse 23. So Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Follow along with me. Let's read. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we uh, commit this time to you, and Lord, we ask that you would take this text and develop all the imagery and the power in our hearts and our minds for us to get out of what you have for us in this, that you would shine light into our hearts, our lives, our context, and what you're doing. And Lord, help us to fully align with you, all for the glory of your anointed, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in his name we ask it. Amen. Okay, so in our text, this is a prayer meeting. It's actually a worship service, a prayer meeting, where something at the end of their gathering, at the, at the end, is, is pe- peculiar. And it says that the place where they were gathered was shaken. Um, I believe that that was there to symbolize something, and it was basically God giving them an affirmation of their prayer. In other words, like God was sending a tangible, powerful, authoritative amen to their prayer. God was wanting them to feel very tangibly that he is with them, for them, has their back, is on the move, and they are a critical part of what God is doing. And all of that shaking was sending this message right into their heart and strengthening them in the mission of the work of God. And that shaking had that type of effect. And I remember one time I was preaching in Louisiana on a Wednesday night, and it was in the middle of the summer. So think about hot and muggy and and um, I'm preaching in the middle, and I, I, I couldn't remember the text I was preaching from, but I think it was Romans, because I remember the thing that I was talking about was particularly heavy and real, real uh, glory gritty, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and, and so one thing, and y'all don't know this, but now I preach with this flimsy little thing right here, and the reason I do that is so that I won't pound it. Because I used to preach with that table over there, 
And if I have something strong, my tendency is I get all caught up in the preaching activity and I pound like this. And uh, some of y'all made fun of me for pounding. And I was like, you know what? If I have this, I won't pound because I'm afraid I'll just break the whole thing. Um, but I do it and I don't think about it. All right. But that night, I had, there was a hard, big wooden pulpit that I was preaching from. And, uh, and I got into that moment in the text where uh, that thing, you know, that thing, uh, it, just, it just grabs you. If you don't preach, you'd, you'd have to uh, preach to know it. But it just gets you and, and you just you say it like that. And it just comes out. And you want to say it like that because it requires it. And you just, oh, and I hit the podium right when I made this point. And at that very second, that big thunder, cumulonimbus, dark underneath, blowing up outside, the, the, like a thunder clap, summer thunder clap. You know what I'm talking about? The one where you're in your house and you feel your whole house shake and things rattle in the kitchen. Y'all know what I'm talking about, that th summer thunderclap kind of thing? It hit and rocked the whole church. And it was just boom, just like this, right as I hit the, the wooden pulpit. And, and you know, I, I promise I didn't get puffed up. But what happened was I hit the thing, and the timing was so right on. And all that landed and hit that everybody cracked up laughing. The timing was like so spot on, and it was really wonderful. Almost like God was saying, yeah, amen. Y'all need to hear this, you know, like the clout, like it parted from heaven when Jesus was baptized. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, it was like that, that thing that God does, you know. Uh, and we all laughed about that, but right here, it actually happened. That's what was actually happening here, that God was giving earth-shaking uh, as we're thinking about earth shaking right worldwide, like an incredible, horrible thing that's happened in Turkey and uh, shaking of the earth. God is, God is manifesting his power and his authority in a tangible way for us to feel. It's what he's doing for them right here, just saying, yes, yes. Um, and I have my full weight behind this move and I'm affirming it. And it was a God-sized amen in this earth-shaking moment. And so I want to give you four things. Earth-shaking prayer um, is from the text. Earth-shaking prayer is, number one, what we see here is together in community. Verse 23 and 24, it says, they lifted their voices together. So last week we talked about private prayer and how important that is and Jesus even emphasizing the fact that we're praying privately and going on that private personal journey with God in our own hearts. But I believe there is no way God would ever want it to stop there. In fact, it has to actually reach its culmination in community. Now, I can. this is another sermon for another day, but let me just tell you this. God always affirms what he's doing in the individual by connecting them to the whole by connecting them to the whole, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's sitting there reading, he couldn't understand what he says. Why didn't God just send an angel? No, he sent Philip. Why? God is connecting him to his community. God converts Paul, and then he sends him to on the road, and then Ananias has to go with him, pray with him. Ananias has to pray with him, pray with him, and then something like scales falls off his eyes. Why would God have to do all that? Why can't he just still like continue to talk to him and tell him, what he wants him to do 
He actually connects him to the body of Christ because he doesn't want Paul to be misled, that this is not an isolated thing. You must connect to my body, my community, my family. This is an us thing. It's not a you thing. It's an us thing. It's not a me thing. It's an us thing. This mission is about my family coming together as one man for the cause of the gospel. And so here we have... The, they get released and they go and they go together with their friends, the others, and they begin to lift their voices together like a worship service. This is a communal prayer service, and they are all responding to what God is doing in the world, and they're giving Him praise and glory, and they're doing it together. Uh, the church, it's not that the church has a prayer ministry. We do. People will pray with you. They're there for a purpose. But it's the church is a prayer ministry, and I know I say that a lot. But I want to emphasize, when we come together and gather as a church, we are coming together to meet with God. And we come together in order to do that in a full way. Jesus says this. The Holy Spirit gifts you, gifts me, gifts everybody. And you know what? He gifts you for me, and he gives me for you, and you for the others. And, we, and God, by the gifting of the Spirit, and all of us using that gift with one another, we all grow in God. We get to know God, and we experience God, and we hear God, and we worship God all together. This is not an isolated thing, and neither is prayer. Prayer, most of the context I can even think of in the Bible, the context is us. The context is the church praying and God relating to the church as one body, much like he did Israel in the Old Testament. Many times he's talking to Israel as a collective body. He's not talking to individuals most of the time. He's talking to Israel as one whole being. And as they did things wholly together is how he interacted with them together. And I think that's what he does with the church as well. And so we have this idea of together in community, even in the Lord's Prayer last week. Y'all saw that he gave us this prayer in the context of praying privately. But what words did he use? Listen, he used the words, our Father. So Jesus is even saying, when you're praying privately, you still are praying in a spirit where you are all symbolically connected with hands of the body of Christ all around the world, even in your private, even in your private place, you are praying together with all the saints, with your spirit. You are still together in praying with the body of Christ, even in private prayer. So he says, our Father, give us, forgive us our sins as we forgive, lead us, deliver us. It's all plural. It's all of us coming together to pray. And so we see this earth-shaking prayer being affirmed by God because it's his family coming together and calling on his name together. So can, let me address one thing before we move on. If you're like me, as a brand new believer, I had lots of very uncomfortable feelings about praying publicly together with other people. Because I would show that I probably don't know what to say, or I would say the wrong thing. I didn't know King James English, and I don't even know what that meant, but I used it anyway, and I hope it was right because they said that one time, and so I'm just saying it. I would have a lot of those feelings. And I would feel uncomfortable about praying together with people. But you shouldn't. You should not feel uncomfortable praying out loud with other believers. It should be that that is as natural to you as breathing. And it's even desirous of you to do it as you would desire anything else. And you would blast through 
whatever uncomfortableness you have, and that you would enter into voicing your prayer with the collective body of Christ, whether it's in your life group or just other believers, just a few of you gathered together. You need to grow if that's the case, and I, I had to be there as well. It's very uncomfortable. Maybe some of you are really intimidated by even praying with your family. So men, I know particularly, there's a lot of men that feel like, oh, praying with my kids and my wife. And I know that many of us might think, that, wow, you, you, you know. Well, I know, I can know, that's very intimidating. So one way that you can do it is to begin to break through that and just exercise that and work, walk through that particular intimidating feeling and get over it. Get through it. Fight through it. You need to pray and you need to pray with others and you need to pray with others for others and you need to contribute your words and your prayer with other people collectively in your life group. You need to pray. And, and, and honestly, if you're in a life group, one of the things that we actually challenge everybody in a life group is that everybody would participate in this prayer. Because here's what I believe will happen. I believe God will set your heart on fire when you push through this zone. He'll set your heart on fire with something and something particularly that he wants to you. But it's something that you won't get if you let your uncomfortable feeling of praying out loud with others and joining in the prayer event itself, if you let yourself stay there in a comfortable place, you won't get. So I'm encouraging you in the most clear way. Go ahead, and even if it's a small step, it's fine. Take steps for you to pray together out loud with other people in the body of Christ. There is a power in that. And I learned it in process. And my heart got caught on fire when I just started doing it. And the intimidation of what will others think started going way down. And the, my care for the glory of Christ went way up. And all of a sudden, I didn't give a rip about how I sounded. All I cared about was, was Jesus hearing us together, and I was glorying in this moment with other believers, and my heart was captivated. And it could be that you are staying outside of that because you're not participating in that. Get in there. Like, fight through it. And, and just get there. Um, I don't know another way to coach you as a pastor to get some of that. But there's some stuff in there for you, so get in there and get it. And let's be a people who pray together in community, okay? All right, secondly, earth-shaking prayer is informed by God's word. Verse 24 to 26, the, the whole declaration of these people in this prayer meeting is telling God about his word. It's really awesome. Sovereign Lord, Lord, you're in control of everything. Everything that happens, you are in control of, sovereign Lord. He says, you made the earth and everything in it. You're the creator. You started this whole thing. You are awesome and almighty and powerful. You're the creator and the sustainer of the world. And then he says, and, and you, listen to this, this is really interesting. You have spoken by your spirit through your servant David about your servant Jesus. Um. You're like, well, okay, so what's the big deal? Why are you acting all, you know? Uh, well, they had a proper view of the inspiration of God's Word. Therefore, the inerrancy of God's Word. The authority of God's Word. They expressed in this very moment a rootedness in their heart and that the authority and the 
finality of what God has just done and spoken. They were a people of the book. They quoted Psalm, the psalmist. Why do the Gentiles rage in vain? And what the picture of that is, we are surrounded. Why does the world surround us and threaten us constantly? I want you to hear that and I want you to think about our modern context. Why do we get surrounded and threatened and yelled at and persecuted constantly? This is the prayer. This is what David said in the psalm. This is what it is. Why do we keep getting pushed in the corner and threatened by the whole world? Why? Is what he was saying. But then, what we see here is that this moment of prayer indicates that they are praying from a foundation of a rootedness in God's word as God's word and as it being the authority of what is right and true in the world. And they're praying with that foundation. They are praying from a place where they know God's word, they know God's ways, and they know what God is doing in his work, and they are aligning with him in his work and they're calling even out the text of the Bible in the context that they're in, upward to God, in accordance with it. All that comes to this. Church, may we always be a people of the book. Uncompromisingly, a people of truth that has been declared by the Spirit through His servants, delivered once and for all to the saints. For all faith and practice and authority, amen. amen. If you want to pray powerful prayers, you had better see God's word as that. Because they did. Powerful prayer is in community, in a community of people, where the book is the authority. Not you, not your opinions, not the world, the book. God's book. And if we get away from being a people of prayer or being a people of the book, we will have ceased to have anything to offer this world. May we always be a people of the prayer and a people of the book. And a people of the book that informs our prayers. Thirdly, they were consumed with the mission. Earth-shaking prayer is consumed with the mission of the glory of Christ on the earth. Verse 27 to 30. Give us boldness. Consider their threats. The nations of the Gentiles threaten, threaten, threaten. Consider their threats, Lord. And give us boldness, boldness. Lord, you're in charge, you're sovereign, you're in control, and in fact, with their hardening and crucifixion of Jesus, they're playing into your hand. You are sovereign and predestined it to be so. 
It's according to your plan. Christ was crucified. You are in control. You are at work now, and you are in control, and you are not estranged to their threats. Consider their threats, Lord, and protect us. Is that what they said? I think y'all know where I'm headed with this. What was the consuming aim of their prayer? The glory of Christ. That was all they cared about. It was what they wanted more than anything because they didn't pray for their protection. If Congress passed a law in America that said Christians need to forsake Christ, get a certificate to show that they have forsaken Christ in order to have a bank account to buy and sell or to have a business in America, you and I would start praying. And I guarantee you, we'd start praying for God to overturn that law. (laughs) Right? We would. And it wouldn't be bad. It would be fine. That's the context that they're in. And the context that they're in, they only prayed for boldness. Consider their threats. Make us bold in the face of the threats. That we might proclaim the way you've told us to. While you have your outstretched hand and your arm are doing healing and miraculous works, Lord, you do what you do, and Lord, give us boldness in the things that you called us to do. But in all of it, we want more than anything Christ to be glorified and the mission of Christ to advance in power, even if it's pain for us. That's fine. But may his name be made great. You feel that pulse? of drive in their hearts as they pray. That is powerful praying. Now, it's okay to pray for your needs, okay? I'm not trying to say that we should carry one another's burdens. We should pray for each other, that God meet very specific needs in your life. I'm not talking about that. All that's great and all that's good and we should do that. But the emphasis of this prayer shows us the desire, the ultimate desire of their heart is for the mission of Christ to go on and for hearts to be saturated with his salvation and his presence and and his joy and his peace and for that to come like a waterfall and to flood the earth and to satisfy and to make glad the nations. That's the heartbeat of this group. And so they were consumed with a mission. So earth-shaking prayers together in community, it's informed by God's word and it's consumed with the mission of Christ and the gospel. And lastly, earth-shaking prayer is affirmed by the Holy Spirit, affirmed by the Spirit. I close with this. It says that the place was shaken, and that's that amen I talked about. But a little cool thing happened here. One of God's little affirmations that that, that kind of has been happening a lot in Acts. And I want to just sit here for just a second on this. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So whether it was an earthquake or a thunderclap or whatever it was that shook the place, it followed 
by a filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's not out of the ordinary. The first time the Spirit came in Acts 2, wind and fiery tongues and things flying everywhere and like a, something like a wind happened and it was very supernatural and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. One thing I'd like to note, Acts 4 is the same group. And it said the thundering happened, the shaking of where they were, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And might I add the word again, again. They were filled with the Holy Spirit again. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit again. And I, I land in that point because I want to just sit there for just a second and unpack it. When does the Holy Spirit fill us? Well, there's a filling that happens of the Holy Spirit coming to reside in our hearts when we become a believer. We hear the gospel, and it's as if we heard it for the first time, and all of a sudden it applies to us, and the lights come on, and we see things we hadn't seen before. We see our sins. We're broken over. We come to Christ, and we, we trust Christ. And in that moment, the Bible says that he gives us the Spirit as a gift and a deposit. In other words, he's, he's a seal of God, and he, to guarantee us that he has us, he'll be with us, he'll never leave us or forsake us. He resides in our heart. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit in our heart, in our body. And that is one ceiling where we have a relationship with God forever, okay? And that, that is done. As that, we become part of the family of God where all of us have the Holy Spirit residing within us. And together, here's the other thing, from time to time, the Spirit comes in fresh filling among His people. Now, that's a different filling, and this is a special thing that's brought. Because Peter obviously is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's also obviously a believer. And yet he's filled with the Holy Spirit here in Acts 4. And all of them together are refilled in a sense. What are we to make of this? Well, the fact that it's true that all of us have the Holy Spirit. What we see is that God in his kingdom work comes occasionally and according to his own sovereign plan that cannot be manufactured. In his own sovereign plan from time to time, as he deems necessary, he brings the Holy Spirit in a fresh, renewing, renewal power of life-giving renewal and power to his church. And that comes and it floods and then it kind of the season that it ends. And we call that revival. It is the way that the gospel ministry has been pushed throughout the whole earth to this day. Pulses will say straight from the Father's heart, the Holy Spirit comes and he comes into his church and he comes in a way that is extraordinary and it's a togetherness and we all sense him in a way that we haven't before or maybe more so. And when we do, there is a revival in the church. Many times there's an awakening that comes in society because of it, because the power just sort of overflows and flows into the streets and the byways and it transforms landscapes and all of this sort of thing. And it's been happening for 2,000 years. And then what you'll find, just like a bell curve, if you look at it in history, that man, all of a sudden some things happened 
And all of a sudden you see this escalation of power and supernatural things. And the church is all of a sudden experiencing things it hasn't experienced in a long time. And it's all fresh and it's all sizzling and incredible and experiential. And then all of a sudden it, it kind of holds for a few years. And then you see it kind of fade away and goes back to kind of normal routine Christianity. And I know. And these things can be uh, localized to a group of people where the Spirit just came and flooded a moment for a group of people, a small group of people. It can come to a whole large church. It can come to a city. It can come to a whole nation. It can happen worldwide all at once. Um, it, it's like that. It's just how he decides to give his Holy Spirit in advancing, kingdom advancing, power type pulses, I call it. It is God's way of working in the world with the gospel. Now, if you don't recognize the way God uses revivals, you might get discouraged in the, low, the, low, the, the normal times, right? Uh, you feel a little bit like uh, you're scratching and clawing for spiritual life, and it feels like you're hanging on. But then at other times, when he comes on, you're just like, you, the whole church just enjoys the ride, and here we go. It's like a, the tide just comes flooding in, and all of a sudden, the power flows, and temptation is a lot less than it was, and, and all the things just start, the, the joy is uh, incredible, when you hear of people who have gone through the tidal wave of a revival, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples of, of those, what they describe is like heaven. Uh, it's like something I've never experienced before, maybe in small pockets and doses, but not like the ones, the great ones. We call them the great ones. I call them the tidal waves of the Holy Spirit that came, and it just unleashed on the earth. <clears throat> we see it throughout history. All right. I met a man from India one time. He is from the far eastern side of India, on the other side of Bangladesh. India actually wraps a little thin layer of land. It goes on the other side of Bangladesh. It's a far east portion of it, and they, they even look different than the rest of India, but they are part of it. Um, about 120, 30 years ago, there was a bunch of tribes there called headhunters. Some of you are familiar with the story because it's been directly related to our church. But they had headhunters. And what they did was they basically, the way we do trophies of deer heads and stuff like that, they do human heads. And they would protect themselves and war against each other and do trophies, of like a whole wall of heads, human heads and faces. And they keep it up there just to brag and stuff. And then they would put these heads on posts out on their property to make sure the people who are coming in know, like, you're going to be one of these next ones, right? Don't come in here. So it was their protective measure as well. And this is just how it worked. And it was millions of people. And this is just the headhunter. They just, what they did and that's how they rolled, right? Well, about 120 years ago, uh, a, a guy showed up that they thought looked really strange. He was a white guy. <laughs> and they had never seen a white guy before with a red beard. And uh, it was so peculiar to them. They just really did. I think they were a little bit shocked by his appearance. But Somehow, and these tribes were all multiple tribes with different authorities, but all of them ultimately reported to this one main tribe chief, okay, and over these, all these people in this whole area. And this guy shows up, and he makes his way up to the chief, who's the top, and the day before, or just soon before, this guy meets with, gets to this place, this chief has a dream that a white man with a red beard is going to come to you. And when he does, listen to him. Something to that effect. Well, this chief sees a white man with a red beard. There ain't a lot of those around here, right? Uh, no one. No, they've never seen nothing like this. This guy shares the gospel of Jesus. That chief 
along with hundreds and hundreds of thousands of other people in tribes all across that region, all convert to Christ in a very short amount of time. All of them. If you want to look it up, look at that portion of India and look at the tribes and, and look it up and look at what the percentage of Christians are. There's millions of Christians in this one little area right there. Um, so I met this guy while I was in Asia and he said that was his grandfather. And I'm talking to him and I'm like, what? I've never even heard of that. What are you talking about? I, th- I was just marveled that we'd never heard anything like this. That there's millions of Christians in a little pocketed area over there. So, okay, guess what? After that, I come to Bannockburn. And a guy comes to my office and he starts telling me a story. It's the exact same story of same population, same guy comes, same thing happens, and it's our own Edward Shimray. Y'all know him? He's passed for a couple years now, but, but man, a man of prayer and loves the way he had ALM, the Asian Abundant Life Mission in Asia and in India and in Taiwan. In fact, Sherry Shimray is going to be leading our trip. Sherry, right back here. You can wave everybody. Okay. She'll verify all the things I got wrong about this story. Okay. So if you want to find out the truth, you go talk to her after this service and say, tell me all about your husband and all the story. Um, because I'm sure there's more to it as well. She's going to be leading our trip to Taiwan with Abundant Life Mission. Anyway, so if you want to know more about that, come to the mission lunches. But Edward Shimray is in our church, and his, his, he is one of the tribes that actually came to Christ through this whole ordeal. And he tells me the story, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I just met a guy that told me the same story, and here I have another one. Tell me about this tribe in India. And so I begin to go, God, what are you doing here? You know, and I'm like, I don't know, just get on board, right? God called him home to glory, but we're continuing in that work. But here's what I want to share with you. Where did that white guy in a red beard come from? To have all this impact. These people now send missionaries, and I'm talking like a bunch of missionaries all over Asia to convert uh, uh, unbelieving nations, even to the Muslims. It's, it's crazy what's happening over there. But where did this guy come from? Well, they told me he came from Wales. And he came from the Welch revival that was happening in that day. God visited Wales in an abundant way. If you want to look it up, I don't have time to explain it. Just look up Welch revival and read all about it. Um, God showed up, packed out the church, transformed the whole, the whole area, and, and churches are packed out. Everybody marveled about how rich God had moved and how powerfully he had moved. And it was a waterfall from heaven. The skies literally opened and, and dumped right on Wales and created an incredible revival where people were converted all over the place. And it was, and in those moments, you'll hear like news reporters go, it seems as the whole world's going after God. Like it's just crazy what happens in these moments. But God had poured out a revival and it's called the Welch Revival. And this man converts, gets, gets, becomes a Christian, gets consumed with the Holy Spirit and the mission of God and the glory of Christ. And he goes all the way to Asia to meet with these headhunters and he risks his very life to go and preach to them And yet God uses him to convert a whole almost nation. That's the power I'm talking about. You and I have never experienced a a move like that. Because it hasn't happened in our generation. Not like that. I would say I've been a part of some really powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. Not like that. And not like this. Not like this. 
I have longed since I've become a Christian for that kind of revival and spiritual awakening to sweep the land of America. And I'm talking about not just a good move. I'm talking about transforms the landscape of our entire country and the world as a result. I long for that kind of revival. And I know ultimately the kind of revival I long for is going to happen in the return of Christ. No doubt. He will come, he'll rule, he'll reign, and it'll be revival forever. But I long for one more. One more move. Did you know in the early 1700s, pastors, or actually late 1600s, pastors got together in American colonies and they grieved the state of the church. It was like desert. No one showed up to church. Everybody was consumed with frontierism. God, godliness was just like a desert. Everything was dry. They were scraping and clawing for any type of spiritual nourishment. And the pastors knew it. And they came together and they begged God to do a great work. But did you know? He did. Early 1700, and for about 25 years, it's hard to kind of put the number on it, you know, an outpouring happened right in the, in the colony, American colonies that was so powerful that the churches were filled, and they say something like a third of our entire country was converted in like 25 years. It was just an amazing outpouring of God in the early 1700s. Right after that whole move happened, let me give you a reference here, we became a nation in 1776. And the people that declared all of those founding fathers had experienced in some way the moving of God in that revival. In fact, one uh, theist, Abraham Lincoln, who was not a Christian, marveled at the preaching of one of the preachers during the time. It started like measuring off how far they could hear his voice and stuff. He even marveled at the move itself. But all those founding fathers knew the way God has moved in our, in our 13 colonies is so supernatural and so rich that said that, uh, you know, Jonathan Edwards would preach a passage. And I'm talking about he just read like an old English colony guy, pastor would do. Just read the text. And people are laying outside the church in the yard, weeping and crying out loud for God. They had to take people out of their service in an English speaking, stiff upper lip, very formal society. They, had, they were crying out so loudly in the service, they would take them out of the service and take them to the house next door to cry. Because it was so rich and thick. God was moving so powerfully among the preaching of the gospel. George Whitfield preached in the, from Georgia all the way up. And every time he preached, people were laid out, crying to God every single where. The whole world was going after God in the 13 colonies. All that happened for a long period of time. Incredible move of God. And then we become a nation. And the founding fathers said, what has just happened among us in the last 50 years, God has to have some type of divine cause for this country. And the, and the whole national uh, consciousness about America came from the fact that we had experienced such a, a huge awakening of God. It's called the Great Awakening. If you want to study it, early 1700s, Great Awakening. It was so powerful that they said God has to have a divine purpose for this because this extraordinary move of God. 150 years later, in the mid-1800s, it happens again. And guess what? Of all places, New York City. Jeremiah Lamphere, I've shared this with you before in the past. This is like called the second great awakening. It could also be kind of, the, there's a second and a third. But this could be the second great awakening. 
in the mid-1800s. In fact, this awakening would actually give all the propulsion to ending of slavery and the movement of the end of the Civil War and all that kind of thing. It would end up in writing a lot of the hymns that you and I enjoy today. In fact, the hymn um, that we sang this morning, uh, was it Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus? Jesus, I love, yes. The, the one that we sang this morning, I was on the way and I was like, 1860. It happened, that was written as a result of this move. Jeremiah Lanfear starts a prayer meeting in New York City and at one time, after he starts this prayer meeting, almost the entire city is carrying their Bibles to work and they're going to pray at lunch for these prayer meetings because revival has broken out and the Spirit of God has control. It's just unfortunate. And it went from New York to Philadelphia to Chicago, all across the Northeast. And revival broke out and half a million people came to Christ during that revival. It was in the 1850s. It ended up in a civil war. It ended up with hymns being written. It transformed the landscape of our country in the mid-1800s. The YMCA came from that, all right? Amen? I know. You're like, so what? Okay. But anyway, but that's where that came from. God moves so powerfully, and it's so, it's so crazy how we just forget these things. I have desired for a long time that God would do that kind of thing in our midst, in America and the whole world. He's done it before. We haven't seen one like that in our generation, and I long for that. Do you sense what these people sensed? The nation rages in vain. Do you feel the church being beginning the, the process of the church becoming now um, as if, you know, the studies show that the church, everybody at least in America at one time said the church is good for the culture, right? But then it became um, that it's for some people, but it's not for me. But it's still good for the culture, right? Just in the last 20 years, the consensus of the culture is the church is harmful to culture. Now we're in the context when they see the church is harmful to culture. Now we begin the phase where they begin to do something about it because we're hurting the culture. Now we're in the context of the early church. And we can pray. Lord, I feel it. I feel it. Consider their threats. Consider how the church is getting shoved into the corner of society and isolated and all of these types of things. And we can pray, and we can pray and ask God to do a mighty work. I believe, I believe this to be true, that in my lifetime, I'll see this kind of work at least take place in part, in some way. I hope that he would. I've been praying for that for, for years, and I believe we may be experiencing, we may come into a time of revival. John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. I've hesitated to share this with you, but I've felt it for about a year. I've shared it with some people. But I believe the father, the being the vine dresser, y'all know this is a grapevine, right? And he says he cuts off the branches that bear no fruit. He takes them out. In a day where you and I are seeing branches on every corner, of our entire city. Let this sort of work into your heart. He takes off the branches that bear no fruit and the ones that do bear fruit, he prunes, he cuts them. 
like hurts them. <laughs> it, it damages the vine. And it's like it looks like it's bad, like he's damaging. But yet the reason he does it is for more fruit. So the vine will be more fruitful overall. I believe we have been in a very dark pruning season. Cutting away, pruning back, and it feels like we've been damaged. <laughs> damaged. Um, and I believe, but it's been for a purpose, and that purpose is coming. And the, purpose, and the thing that is coming is revival. Fruit. And I think fruit's a good illustration because fruit is power. Fruit is life. Fruit is wholeness. Uh, all that imagery. God's going to bring fruit, and he's going to do it through the Holy Spirit, pouring out on the gospel of Jesus Christ as the people of God, in the word of God, come together with the mission of God, and we call out his name to bring glory to Jesus in spite of what it cost us, that we would pray to Jesus and bring glory to Jesus, and that we would experience some of that in our life while we live, that he would do it again as he's done in the past. Does any of this resonate with you? If it does, we have people right now in this church that are calling me as the pastor to say, this is what the Spirit is doing in this church. And if it connects with you at all, Kevin, raise your hand. Kevin's over here. He's leading a prayer movement. Our deacons are praying right now for revival on Sunday morning at 8.15. Al, raise your hand. If y'all want to be a part of these, uh, go, go see these folks. Ed, Ivy, Ed, Ivy, over here. Go talk to these guys. If you're interested in being a part of a group, getting together and just asking God for revival, then go to one of these guys, find a group, start it in your life group. You can just pray with somebody in your life group. But we can all start together to pray. Will you join me in praying and asking God to do an incredible work through us and, and, and lift up our voices together and pray accordingly? Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, we just uh, give this time to you and Lord... I pray, I just sort of just slung it out there um, and not knowing where to take it. But I pray you, by your spirit, would take it into hearts and take it where you want it to go. And so I, I release that now. And I ask you to do a great work in your church. Take this response time and this song and just speak to us. Give us wisdom, spiritual insight into our own lives and the world around us the state of your church, the need for your power. And Lord, just hear us and respond to us and stir within us. And oh Lord, that you would break open the heavens and rain down on our country, empower the gospel, stretch out your hand to heal and to do supernatural works that cannot be refuted by cerebral gods. And Lord, bring glory to Jesus and let us see it with our own eyes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We stand all across the room. Let's sing to the Lord and do business with him. <laughs>